Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, Texas. My name is Susan Yarbrough, and I am the very lucky, soon-to-be former student intern minister in this dynamic and activist congregation. First Unitarian Universalist Church is a church of deeds, not creeds, and we're part of a liberal religious tradition that encourages the application of reason to faith and welcomes people from all theistic and non-theistic traditions, including but not limited to Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, neo-paganism, agnosticism, and atheism. I'd like to extend an especially warm welcome to those of you who are visiting for the first time. Part of our tradition holds that there is a divine spark in everyone, so in keeping with that tradition, please take a moment to turn to those around you and greet their spark with the warmth of your own spark. The flaming chalice is a symbol of our faith, and we light it at the beginning of every worship service. As Susan Thompson leads us, let's say together the words printed in your bulletin. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is a poem entitled, When Someone Deeply Listens to You. It was written by American poet John Fox, an amputee whose early suffering has led him to a lifetime of developing the field of poetic medicine, which he teaches in medical schools around the world. Here are his words. When someone deeply listens to you, it is like holding out a dented cup you've had since childhood and watching it fill up with cold, fresh water. When it balances on the brim, you are understood. When it overflows and touches your skin, you are loved. When someone deeply listens to you, the room where you stay starts a new life, and the place where you wrote your first poem begins to glow in your mind's eye. It is as if gold had been discovered. When someone deeply listens to you, your bare feet are on the earth, and a beloved land that seemed distant is now at home within you. Every Unitarian Universalist church goes through a lengthy process of developing its own mission statement. We've written ours on the upper wall to your left, and we say it together every Sunday to remind each other of our communal purpose. Let's do that now as Susan leads us. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. From an Australian woman who goes by the name Brooke and writes a blog called Slow Your Home. You know that your soul has been nourished when you have a feeling of contentment and fullness because someone has handed you something 
that will sustain you for days. Every week in our service, we have a time of quietness together, and each of us enters it into his or her or their own way. For me, it's with prayer, and for others, it's through meditative stillness or simply following our breath to a place of calmness. After today's prayer, you're invited to light candles of joy, sorrow, hope, memory, concern, or celebration. As we enter into a spirit of prayer and meditation, let us remember that the sounds of small children are part of the music of the universe. God of many names, whose highest name and form is human love, thank you for all the people of this congregation. Thank you for how they have welcomed me, taught me, corrected me, encouraged me, and loved me. Thank you for giving them to me. As we part, help me remember how they have nourished my soul by illuminating my blind spots and by showing me how I am at war and also at peace with myself. By the light of their example, Usher me into a ministry where I may join with them in healing, in healing and repairing the world with unselfish love. Watch over them and care for them. Hold them in the palm of your hand and keep them close to your heart. Amen. Thank you for being here, and thank you for letting me be here. And now for something entirely different, a Mother's Day sermon by someone who is not a parent. <laughs> for a rookie like me, every sermon is a challenge, and there's also this idea that every good sermon begins in the life of the preacher. So as I thought about what I would say today, I really started to twitch. I mean, I have no experiential knowledge of what it is to be a parent, and I therefore don't have any standing to talk about anything remotely related to parenting. And I'm feeling grief and sadness about the end of my internship with this congregation. As I started to think about leaving you, I remembered that I began attending this church in June of 2014, just after I had moved to Austin. And that every Sunday I've been here, I've joined in all the voices that say, first you use mission in unison. And as I thought further about the mission statement itself, this sermon began to form as I realized that many individuals have nourished my soul over the course of my 70 years, but that my greatest nourishment by a group of souls has come from this congregation as it has lived out its mission in my life. Clearly, then, the only correct direct direction for this sermon was reflection about what it takes to nourish souls, how you have done that for mine, and the lessons from you about nourishing souls that I'll carry with me into ministry. One of my favorite courses of study in graduate school was linguistics, and I still love to learn about the etymology of words. 
So I took a close look at the words nourish and soul. Most linguists believe that during the Neolithic age, which was about 30,000 years ago, there was a single prehistoric language spoken in what is now Europe, the Middle East, and India. Scholars call this language Proto-Indo-European, and as people moved away from their homelands, they began to develop early variations of this language. As Latin developed, one of the root words became N-A-U, now, which signified something swimming or flowing, as in our word nautical. The N-A-U root word found its way into the feminine noun nutrix, N-U-T-R-I-X, which was a wet nurse, and from there into the verb nutrire, which meant to feed or support. The word continued to expand through Old and Middle French and eventually appeared in English as the word nourish, where it soon took on connotations of raising and nurturing a child. The etymology of the word soul is equally interesting. Here again, as people speaking a single prehistoric language spread into all parts of Europe, they began to develop early variations of that language. The word soul is thought to have come from the first century Proto-Germanic word saiwalo, S-A-I-W-A-L-O, meaning coming from or belonging to the sea. Because in the mythos of early Germanic culture, the sea was the stopping place of one's essence both before birth and after death. It wasn't until the development of Old English that the word soul came to mean the spiritual and emotional part of a human being. Putting these liquidy etymologies of the words nourish and soul together, we might say that to nourish the soul means to let it be fed with and immersed in the milk of human kindness. I have seen you do that every day with each other and with me, during the three years in my life I've been blessed to spend with you. And I want to use the remaining minutes of this Mother's Day sermon holding up a mirror to this congregation as my nurturing, nourishing soul parent. As a congregation that can say to itself, mission accomplished with Susan. You know by now that I'm an inveterate list maker, so here are five of the many things I've experienced as part of your transforming, nourishing soul gifts to me. First, welcome and acceptance. This is something many of us did not experience as children and still don't experience as adults. And even though we know intellectually that one of our primary emotional tasks is to cultivate self-acceptance, we can be awfully hard on ourselves, which often translates into being distant from and judgmental toward others. You did not do this to me, and I can hardly think of how welcoming and accepting you've been to me without having tears of gratitude. I mean, you didn't know me from Adam or Eve. You were supposed to pitch right in and help me learn how to become a minister. You quickly found out that I'm a theist with strong roots in Judeo-Christian traditions and organic connections to its wisdom text that I was a judge who had ordered the deportations of many people, and that I am a committed and sometimes curmudgeonly bookworm 
who is happily unfamiliar with pop culture and the Austin music scene. (laughs) So what on earth was there for you to welcome and accept? (laughs) But you did it with an open-mindedness and open-heartedness that I have rarely experienced in any group of people. And my soul is more whole and more healed because of your way of being Unitarian Universalist. Thank you for this kind of nourishment. Your second nourishing soul gift to me has been accountability and correction, something far different from the accusation and punishment that many of us grew up with. Back in January, I preached a sermon about white silence in the face of racism. Several white and black congregants gave me positive feedback about it, but several Latinx congregants asked to meet with me and told me that they had felt excluded by my remarks and made to feel that this was not their church. Every sermon is a risk, of course, but the way they confronted me and held me accountable for not talking about the effects of racism on all people of color was the kind of correction that every minister could hope for in order to deepen spiritually and to consider how one's words will fall on all members of the congregation. The third soul-nourishing gift you have given me is that of humor. Like many of you, I grew up in a grim, somber Southern Baptist household, and faith was not something that carried even the remotest connotation of joy. So it's been a special pleasure to be with a congregation that takes faith seriously, but wears it lightly, gracefully, and with good humor. As I've watched friends raise their children, the relationships that seem to have the most adhesion and durability are the ones where appropriate humor is readily available. About 25 years ago, I made a visit to see Diane, an old friend from college. Her teenage son, David, came into the breakfast room where we were having coffee and said, Mom, could I please have $20 for dinner and a movie with my buddies this afternoon? Diane smiled and said, does it look like I'm made of money? And David replied, isn't that what MOM stands for? (laughs) We We all started laughing really hard, and I realized that gentle humor, such as that which appears so often here at First Church in meetings, sermons, and daily interactions, has the ability to lighten loads, convey messages, and nourish souls. Thank you for that gift. Your fourth gift of soul nourishment to to me has been encouragement and praise, another thing many of us did not receive from our parents. Some of it has been couched in surprising and somewhat oblique language, such as that of a member who heard my first sermon about welcoming strangers and said to me in the receiving line, at first I couldn't figure out what on earth you were talking about, but then it hit me. You were preaching about original sin, and I loved it. (laughs) Blink. Well, I thought, I don't even believe in original sin. (laughs) But I told the person that I appreciated their engagement with the sermon. (laughs) Others of you have said plainly that you liked a sermon as a whole or a particular part of it, or that you thought I was onto something interesting but got bogged down in informational material. I have received all of this as constructive criticism and generous affirmation, 
and I thank you for every bit of it. And I especially appreciate the person on my internship committee who, upon learning that my meeting with the credentialing body in Boston had been successful, said very simply, I'm proud of you. Fifth and finally, one of your most nourishing soul gifts to me has been deep listening, like that described in the John Fox poem, which was read and signed as our call to worship today. You have taken time to ask me about my life, about seminary, about my theology, about my hopes and dreams, and about the condition of my heart and soul. And you have listened patiently as I've answered and usually over-answered your questions, doing my usual thing of talking associatively and discursively, and sometimes even not answering your questions at all. Listening deeply is an act of love and care and faith formation. And it causes the person who is listened to to come alive, to be refreshed, to know that what seemed distant is now at home within themselves. Thank you for nourishing my soul by listening to me. I became a card-carrying Unitarian Universalist on the first Sunday of September in 2012. That's less than five years ago. The first UU congregation of Houston midwifed me into this faith and brought me through toddlerhood, but I was only with them for about 21 months before I moved to Austin and began my life with you. So it is this congregation that has shown me what day-to-day -day life as a principled Unitarian Universalist means. This congregation that has taught me how to speak the love in action language of our faith. This congregation that gives me hope for the future of our denomination. This congregation that has nourished my soul for three years and helped me grow up as a minister. The Apostle Paul and his sidekicks started a number of churches in Asia Minor, Minor during the first century AD. And Paul was fond of writing letters to those churches about what he viewed as best practices and correct attitudes. When he could get away from his customary know-it-all, holier-than-thou polemics, he occasionally came up with good advice, such as that found in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, where he urges the church to make real the new self and new humanity by establishing a liturgical life of mutual teaching, song, prayer, and thankfulness. As for how to do that, Paul says this, And so, as God's holy and beloved people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This perfectly describes how you have clothed yourselves in Unitarian Universalism and how you have fashioned that clothing for me to wear as I go forward in ministry. And speaking of clothing, I want to show you and thank you for the beautiful ordination stole you have given me. It was designed and made by Joanna Johnson and I will wear it with love and gratitude after she and my internship committee present it to me on your behalf in October. Applause. <laughs> 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 
it's as hard to end this sermon as it is to end my time with you, but I'll do so with some words of Anne Sexton in her poem, The Big Heart. There is so much abundance in the people I have, and all of them give to me repeatedly in the way the sea places its many fingers on the shore again and again. They know me. They help me unravel. They listen with ears made of conch shells. They speak back with the wine of the best region. Yes, they are my staff, and they comfort me. Thank you for being so giving, so listening, and so comforting. Thank you for accomplishing your mission by nourishing my soul and transforming my life. I carry all of you in my heart until we are together again. Amen. In a few minutes, an offering will be taken to further the work of this church, which is weaving a tapestry of love and care in this community, this state, and in the wider world. Unitarian Universalist congregations do not receive any financial support from a central organization, and we are utterly dependent on one another for the ongoing life of this church. If you're a first-time visitor, please put your money away. Your presence is a great gift to us, and we hope you'll come back. Within Judaism, each congregation has a Hevra Kaddisha, a holy society of anonymous individuals known only to themselves, whose work it is to wash and prepare Jewish bodies for burial, work that is considered the greatest mitzvah of all because it can never be repaid. And so it is with generosity, one of the most meaningful spiritual practices available to us because we know it is undertaken for others and it can never be repaid. If you are a member or a frequent visitor, please give in keeping with how generosity moves through your own heart and soul, knowing that you and your gifts are greatly blessed. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. And now may the grace of the Spirit continue to bless this loving and giving congregation. May the congregation know that it has nourished each soul it has touched. And may each of us know that we are all called and we are all ministers. Amen. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.